0: Because you're like, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my... <laughs> it's like, how did I get here?
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 81 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast is my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader, consultant and trusted advisor, and share with you some marketing street knowledge we've picked up along the way that could bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode is recorded on Friday the 24th of September. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good week. And you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, inspired by last week's interview with Christina Delviar, Jeff Clark and I discuss marketing technology. I have a fascinating conversation with David Budnitsky on ethics in marketing, and we kick off the weekend with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment, I'm again joined by my chum Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former research director at Serious Decisions and Forrester, who's inspired by last week's chat with Christina Delvio. Hello Jeff, welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you this week, my friend? Very good. Thank you Dolly. for having me back. Hey, always always you know i know that when you're not here you're off saving the world but some weeks <laughs> <laughs> the world can wait <laughs> the world can wait <laughs> we need the saving <laughs> yeah. uh, and in our little bit of um
0: uh, and how has your week been week has been very busy it's been mm-hmm. a it's been a um you mm-hmm. know uh, yeah just there's a ton going on and mm-hmm. um and uh, a lot of it is more on the work client side than the than the uh, saving the planet side. So we've got to get back <laughs> to that planet at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's getting to that time of year and it's busy
1: again after yep. the summer. Um, but when before when we were prepping for this or having a chat. I don't know if we can call it prep or whether it's just a chat before I press record. Um, We were talking about the fact that last week I was talking to Christina Delviar in our final part of the four-part series I did with her and her book. Uh, And we were talking about her GRIT marketing methodology. And the GRIT stands for, well, the GRIT is G-R-I-T. And the T in GRIT that we did last week, which caught your eye or ear, was the fact we talked about tech and tools. Now, I know, Jeff, from working with you, that's a interest of yours. Back from when you were at serious decisions, Forrester. What yeah. say you, my friend?
0: What say me? Well, <laughs> the, the um, yeah. As I listened to um to her talk, I mean, it it brought back um either uh, memories, nightmares. I can't remember which what it was, but anyway, brought back just you know working with um clients on the rationalization of their you know, their technology within, within marketing, sometimes sales and marketing uh, together. But, but, um, you know, it is, it, 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 it reminded me, particularly a lot of discussions she was talking about, you know, reminded me of, you know, probably a decade or so ago when, um, when corporate IT organizations were faced with this portfolio management issue where it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we've, You know, from the 80s, 90s on, we bought a lot of stuff. We bought new ERP systems. We bought Mm -hmm. CRM systems. We set up a website, marketing tools, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And now people are asking us to buy more. And it's costing us too much maintaining what we've got and rationalizing, you know, integrating all those, those various issues. And so we've got to do a better job at portfolio management. And 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 make sure that every investment going forward's got some business purpose. You know, it's tied to a yeah. strategy. It's got a, you know, it's got a, um, you know, some sort of business case behind it, etc. And and what we were running into at um, at Forrester Serious Decisions, particularly when I when I started there, which was around 2016, was that marketers were running into that exact same dilemma. You know, it's like people are starting to ask you know, okay, we've spent a lot of money on, you know, whatever, Eloqua, Marketo, mm-hmm. Cardot, you know, we spent a lot of money on, you know, Salesforce, Dynamics, whatever. And and now you're asking me, and we built a website and we did this, yeah. and now you're asking me for tools to help do targeting, or now you're asking yeah. me for tools. And so when's it going to stop? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and how do I justify this, yeah. this additional spend? And so... um. So what, you know, what we developed and, and, you know, and this was part of, I guess I joined the marketing operations strategy group. And so a lot of it was, you know, marketing ops owns this Mm -hmm. problem uh, problem. and it's either marketing ops or it's something like marketing ops where it's part of the digital team or there's somebody actually who has got a marketing technology director title or something like Mm -hmm. that. And the CMO says, okay, you, you gotta go, Figure out what our strategy is here. Mm-hmm. Build a roadmap. Make sure everything we're using is is uh, makes sense for what we're doing today. Yeah. And and so we've kind of developed a lot of these these concepts around. You know, how do you one? How do you do assess what you currently got? Since it's kind of a two part yeah. problem. One is I got to figure out what I got and whether it's still driving value. And then I got to figure out if somebody is going to request something new. How mm-hmm. do they build a case for it? How do I help them build a case for it? And mm-hmm. so, um, you can, I mean, you can kind of conduct these, those two different things as part of one process, but they sometimes have two different drivers. You know, one is kind of more of a budgetary uh, mm-hmm. element. It's like, okay, we're already spending, I don't know, 8% of our marketing budget on tools yeah. yeah, and, and, and that seems high. So, you know, run benchmarks, figure out, you know, do an assessment where you say, let's, you know, inventory all the tools, who owns it, you know, how much do we spend on it, you know, how much might have been in capital expense, operational expense, mm-hmm. support costs, you know, is it being used? So is there kind of a measure, you know, can we quantify the utilization or is it just we need to get a, a sense of, yes, I'm using the tool, no, I'm not using the tool. Yeah. Um, you know, does it still provide value? And, and, you know, does it have issues that we need, to address to improve utilization. You know, oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, the things like um, you know, tools aren't integrated properly or mm. um, they're creating data problems. Either they're either they're creating bad data or they're, you know, they're 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 ingesting bad data. Um and so those are those are things that like are very typical for stopping the adoption of something. You know, somebody buys something, mm-hmm. well, of course the other thing is that the team goes away. <laughs> you know, it's like you buy yeah, a tool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the you know this it just it was amazing when we do assessments how often it was like well you know we had this really great um, you know market resource management tool and the team was really using it and then the team went away and so now I own it and so mm. nobody's using it anymore okay. and it has value but what so so that's something that has particularly uh, budgetary implications and that you want to mm. make sure that everything in your stack is being. Mm-hmm. properly used and if it's not you address what the issue is and the issue might be a training issue or it might be a functional issue and so mm-hmm. if you can solve for those then maybe it's worth keeping it but if you can't yeah. then you ditch it or replace yeah. it whatever yeah
1: I remember I, I know you you, you can't quote it but I remember reading and I, I can talk about it, I guess I remember reading a case study that you guys did um uh when you were back at Forrester uh, and you, you saved somebody a ton of money doing that didn't you and that that was able to be reinvested back into oh, yeah. the actual tools yeah. they really needed right
0: yeah 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 and that, and, and and um yeah and I'll, I I can I can touch on that without probably without mentioning the names and stuff like that but mm-hmm. there was um, there was a, a a guy who had worked for a CMO at a, at least another company where they did yes. a similar process and so the one that we The one that we um, wrote up was where, you know, he comes in and he says that, uh, okay, so the big driver is we need to be able to start. It was a small, fast growing company and we need to be able to start driving demand and measuring it. And they and they just didn't have the capability to do that. So basically he he said, okay, we're going to look at everything. They happen to be on Salesforce. So Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to look at everything that ties to Salesforce and and, Mm -hmm. or doesn't and ditch what we're not using. And use that money yeah. to invest in new tools and or in programs. And what they ended yeah. up, they ended up, um, I can't remember, I think in terms of like numbers of tools, I think they yeah. cut it in half, but they lowered the budget and then they returned most of that budget to, um, to the CMO for wow. programs. So, wow. so it's, I'll led... oh, go ahead.
1: That and that was led by marketing operations by a new yeah. somebody coming in running marketing operations right okay because yeah. that was that was also what I was going to ask you about where this sort of responsibility sits for for taking a look at this and and I think that that's a sometimes a devalued role in a marketing team isn't it oh. operations it's,
0: absolutely I mean it it, <laughs> it is. It, you know, it should be the the right-hand person for the CMO yeah, yeah, because absolutely. it's like, it, it's, you know, charge of tech process, data, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of everything that that makes on the back end that makes marketing run and yeah. can be um, and can be more of a impartial, uh, you know, participant as opposed to like somebody who's like, I got to keep my, you know, I own the yes. website. I got to keep all my tools that own that yeah. run the website, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, and, and, and sometimes the sort of the function of the marketing operations like functions may exist in other teams and it may be mm-hmm. part of a, you know, revenue ops like marketing and sales ops together, yeah. or it could be part of a digital marketing team. And as I said, there's sometimes we certainly ran into companies that had a marketing technology director who would have to coordinate with the digital team and the marketing ops yeah. leaders to do, yeah. to do their work. Yeah, and do and
1: um, uh, these days we talk about dark IT, don't we? The, the the sort of tools that people are implementing on their credit cards or whatever, or bringing in as a, with de- departmental budget and IT don't know about them. They run a bit of a mock. Is there is there a sense of the same sort of thing within marketing, like these? Oh. I mean, I see it all the time, you know, people like they see this shiny bauble and they go grab it and they have made no sort of thought about how it fits into the compliance or governance well, yeah. or data yeah. security or any of that stuff of your other marketing yeah. tools.
0: I mean, typically that's a that's a, a very serious problem, particularly in very distributed marketing mm. organizations. Yeah, And and, um, you know, it's just I mean, it's so many marketing tools, you know, it's like when you, you guys were talking about, mm. you know, the um uh, the MarTech advisory, you know, yeah, 8,000 yeah. tools. Well, the 8,000 yeah. tools got there because so many of them are priced at a price point that a yeah. director or below yeah. can put it on a company credit card.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
0: and it may work for them. Um, and one of the things we found is that peop- some companies that got good at, at managing this, they would say that, that okay, if, if the technology you're buying is going to uh, affect corporate data in systems. Um, so it's going to, it's going to modify data that we, that's critical to our CRM systems and our ERP systems. And so it's got to go through, you know, a rigorous review before we can mm-hmm. purchase it. But if it's something that it's like, you know, um, you know, a lot of web monitoring and testing tools and stuff like that are totally outside of that, you yep. know, that realm. And so it's like, you know, we don't want to, be you know overbearing and make sure that we're you know dotting every i and crossing every t on something that's that 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 is not you know not going to have that kind of impact. Mm -hmm. But the for the stuff that that certainly is is um that takes budget, that takes time, that takes effort to um to to manage is you you really should go through kind of a capability driven analysis. And and this is so this is almost as important for understanding what you got, but it's more important for where you are going forward because, because one of the things that, that you can, you know, as a marketing ops or whoever has this responsibility, they can do is they can, they can try to build a, a framework where it says, okay, the, you know, marketing has certain big initiatives or the company has certain big initiatives. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, those could be improving customer experience. It could be targeting our digital marketing. It could be, just driving better efficiency or improving revenue contribution. And we're going to use that as a lens to kind of talk to the people who, you know, or own or key participants of those initiatives and, and build out a set of capabilities that that are required to get that work done. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're talking about, you know, we need to manage the customer life cycle. So how do we, map a buyer journey. How do we yeah. align the journey with the customer life cycle? How do we onboard customers? How do we, yeah. you know, so there's, there's without getting into a feature function thing, you're getting in, you're getting to a level of detail where you can say, okay, we need to be able to do this. Mm. And there's, there's likely as much as there's a technology aspect to that, there's also a people skill, a process yeah, yeah. aspect. Yeah. And there's also a data aspect yeah. that, that, and I, and, and there was one, Client that I remember working with, it was like they were pushing to buy a bunch of you know account based marketing or ABM tools, and he was like, "Well, we don't have anybody to use them, <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's let's put that on the roadmap, but push that mm-hmm. out a year so that when we hire the people who are going to use them, we mm-hmm. make the right decisions and blah blah blah." So you, mm-hmm. so that kind of balancing act. Uh, particularly that kind of a balancing act shows that somebody in marketing ops or whoever owns this, that they've got a real, they've got a sort of business savvy nature to how they're looking at the problem. They're not just saying, okay, you know, let's do, you want this tool, let's do the vendor review. Yeah. Let's figure out how we slap it in. You know, it's, it's, you know, trying to be a little more sophisticated. I've got,
1: yeah, I've got two instances of that right now where I've got two different marketing groups that are talking about tools that they want, but they're talking about the tool. They're talking about the vendor. They're talking about the very specific tool that they want to bring in. and They it's saw like, the demo. <laughs> yeah, and I said, well, what do you want it for? You know, what's, what, yeah. what's the requirement? And yeah. the thing for them is um, they, they want the toy, right? And they're, I want this. It's shiny. But what I've found in my career is that if you go ahead and get the shiny, somebody at some point is going to object right so unless you've done the requirement gathering and you can it's a defendable decision even if you do end up choosing the same vendor whatever it is you need to really have that little step back and have that sober moment which is why am i buying this it's to do this because somebody at some point is going to ask you
2: right
0: and and have a really good understanding of 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 once implemented, how's this yeah. going to impact the organization? Absolutely. Because there's Absolutely. the there's all the change management aspects of yeah. okay, we got to drive, we have got to make sure it works, we got to drive adoption, yeah. we got to make sure it integrates with whatever tools yeah. it needs to integrate. You know, and then going forward, how are we going to monitor this? How are we going to prove that it actually yeah. did did what yeah. was intended? Yeah, and, and, I- and oh, go ahead
1: yeah and I, I listened to a bit of Seth Godin's podcast uh today and I it I, I finished one and it, it flipped to an old one and started playing it. and I, and he was talking about and the, the phrase you know, you know the phrase you know that, that you're being given free puppies not free beer and that they're going <laughs> to require work well he he said it even differently and he said you're not you're not getting a puppy you're getting a full-grown dog right so think about the fact that you know what is this thing going to need in three to six months or a year's time who's going to look after it yeah and it, yeah. have you got house room and who's going to do the walking and I thought that was a really good analogy in, in that we often talk about free puppies and free beer but we don't think we're not getting a puppy we're getting a full-grown dog and I think it's the same with these tools um and the like you say the data flows that are going to happen and you see this an awful lot with content because each of these new little things that somebody can buy on their credit card is a new little content repository isn't it oh absolutely. it's got its own lightweight you know photo yeah
0: thing or email well, it it. Here, blog posty thing there as you know we've had a lot of discussions on um, on digital asset management which yeah you know, is a subject we both know and it's like and it's like well you know i've got my content marketing tool it's got a damn yeah. i've got my mrm tool it's got a damn yeah. i've got the oh a good corporate it's got a asset <laughs> yeah. management system Oh, yeah. and we could buy this. And it comes with its own and and, yeah, yeah. and it's like, yeah. how how are you going to rationalize how all that works together? And, well, this um, is
1: this is the and, conversation and, I had. Yeah. I had, this is exactly the same conversation I'm having about um, a sales enablement tool, a really good sales enablement tool. And oh, I yeah. said, you do know the implication of this is that is a content management system. And therefore you're gonna make need to make a decision about what that, that is gonna become your content management system.
0: Well, no, uh, it's like, well, you can't. And yeah, and you can oftentimes legitimately use, I mean, certainly some of those sales asset management systems, you know, they they do have the sort of the capabilities that can help you do the broader scope management. But but yeah, this is, um,
1: but you've got to think about the flow of the data, but also the flow of the content.
0: Yeah, and the and the mm-hmm. process flows. That's why I know one of the things you were and Christina were talking about is kind yeah. of like the understanding the workflow within an organization. Mm-hmm. How are you going to support that? Yeah. And that's why when you when you do this capability analysis and and you know, we used to kind of build these charts of, you know, here's these capabilities we want to build. Okay, yeah. well, so what's our what's our status, tech process tools, data? And, mm-hmm. and what's, where's, what's the issue? And then how do we, you know, how are we going to address mm. that issue? Because mm-hmm. once you kind of build that, that matrix, all of a sudden, you know, that, you know, it's the picture or <laughs> the table, mm-hmm. you know, that says a thousand words, like people go, Oh, okay, gosh. Yeah. yeah you got to yeah. solve this, this workflow issue before we know where we're going to put the content or yeah. you know, whatever, whatever that, that issue that you're mm-hmm. trying to get to because yeah. it's just way too many, any organizations are just weighted down with with all of these tools that, and particularly mm-hmm. if they've been through any kind of MA experience, because then it's yes, like, yeah, you know, yeah We like we chose this marketing automation platform, we chose mm. this web content manager, we chose this because this was the best of the breed, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But then it didn't work together. Mm-hmm. And so what we well, you know, we'd, we'd often do is we just go through, and you know this it's, it's, this this sounds as we kind of paint this picture, it sounds kind of complex, but it's like what we would try to help people do is is go through an interview process where you just kind of come up with a, a, a limit of 10 questions, but you just yeah. try to go through, what do you do? What do you need? You know, where are the gaps of, for today? And then if, if, if we tell you that, or you ser- you certainly know that one of your, your major objectives is to improve customer experience. So mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. think about that, yeah where's the gap for you yeah, yeah. and then yeah. and then you know you get you know you you not only get feedback that really helps open your eyes as to where mm-hmm. the um where the 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 investment should be but also mm-hmm. you uncover the tools well it's like well you know we did buy this thing eh, nobody's using it right now yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah oh my god we're yeah. paying for it yeah yeah,
1: so, so um how where so where so you talked about where you start with that assessment and you look at the workflow and you try and map out the workflow where do you go after that with with, with what does this sort of um process or framework that you're talking about look like
0: um so so usually what what um where you go is once you kind of build out the this capability map and you're showing where the um The issues are is you Mm -hmm. you try to summarize um, a list of potential um, investments and the investments Mm -hmm. could literally be dollars and cents investments or pounds Mm -hmm. or or euros or it could be investments in time and energy Mm -hmm. because you want to make sure that it's like something may not cost money because Mm -hmm. we're using internal resources, but Mm -hmm. it's going to take time. So let's make sure we account for that. And then you you put that list of things on a grid. Where you see, you know, here are short-term investments, you know, we call it like the quick hits, short-term mm-hmm. investments that have a quick payback yeah. versus long-term investments that have a really good payback. But it's, it's, um, you know, there's expense up front. Mm-hmm. And then there's, then there's obviously areas that are in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the things that are like, here are the tools that we need to sunset because mm-hmm. – we just need to get them off the balance sheet. Mm. And, and, um, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a process that, you know, takes some time and and thought through it, but, but Mm -hmm. it's amazing how quickly the nuggets come out that make it clear where you should be investing versus where you shouldn't be investing.
1: Mm. Now that's splendid. And, um, we are we're coming up to time and, uh, I could, I could talk about this more. I'm a, I'm a, You know, as we both know, tech and tools type person on the marketing side. (laughs) so I'm fascinated by this topic. Um, And also, it would would be good to explore, you know, the sorts of organizations that can benefit from this, because obviously this is very much about large, sometimes it's about large marketing organizations. But I'm seeing it increasingly with mid-sized organizations are now getting into this. Like you said, there's 8,000, you know, marketing um, uh, technologies out there, according to Scott Brinker. And that many of the, a lot of companies are now p- picking these little tiny. So it's not, it's not just the big organizations that have got this challenge anymore. Is it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, uh, and so, um, hopefully, um, you will be, will you join us again next week to discuss our next topic? Absolutely. Yes. I think we're going to talk about, um, crs aren't we uh, we're going to talk uh,
0: about corporate responsibility yeah I think we're sustainability program yeah.
1: we might have promised yeah. that we were going to talk about that last week but we'll give it another go um,
0: <laughs>
1: in the meantime jeff when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you
0: they can find me at rockstar cmo advisors and mm-hmm. on linkedin
1: that's splendid and you're, you're you're the jeff clark that's
0: in where did you say? Because oh, you yeah. always say,
1: I'm the Jeff Clark <laughs> that's in, and it's your, Amherst, it's your I mean, geography.
0: <laughs> Amherst, Massachusetts, west of Boston, <laughs> over the hills. Yes, yes. and uh Splendid. Oh, yeah. right, mate. Yeah. Well, we have to, we have to hit the tune. Go oh, in.
1: yeah, the tune. What are we going to play <laughs> out with today, Jeff?
0: Um The, one of my favorites from when I was a uh, a young lad, um, mm-hmm. the talking heads once in a lifetime because you're like, This is not my beautiful house. This is not <laughs> my it's like, How did I get here? <laughs> typical marketing ops, you know, nightmare. <laughs> how did I get here? Oh,
1: that has gotta be the anthem for marketing ops and I will <laughs> gladly play out with that as a classic tune. Thank you, Jeff. And okay. I'll see you next week, mate. Sounds good. You
2: Cheers, Living in a shotgun shop you may find yourself in another part of the world, and you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile, and you may find yourself in a beautiful house, with a beautiful wife, and you may ask yourself.
1: Thank you, Jeff. A topic we will no doubt return to. And who doesn't have those classic lyrics in their head as they review their marketing technology or pretty much anything, really? How did I get here? And that was, of course, Talking Heads from 1981 with Once in a Lifetime. And of course, I'll include all of Jeff's links in the show notes. And if you have any thoughts on that discussion or have suggestions for what we should be discussing, get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. On to this week's guest. Back in episode 75, I interviewed David Rodnitsky about his book Unfair Marketing. We also discussed his journey founding his agency 3Q Digital in 2008 and his experience in senior marketing roles at several Silicon Valley Internet companies in the early days of this industry. If you didn't catch it, it's well worth a listen. Aside from talking to us, David is a sought-after speaker for performance marketing industry events and has written for influential publications including CNN Radio, Newsweek, Advertising Age, Search Engine Land and Media Post. Inspired by an article in his Inside the Double Bubble newsletter, I've lured David back onto the podcast to discuss if we're all liars. hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, David. Welcome back to Rockstar
3: CMO FM. How are you? Good, Ian. It's great to be here. Thanks for having Thanks. me again.
1: No, you're very welcome. And for the folks that didn't listen to our last episode, which is about a month or so ago,
3: um, remind people who you are. Just... I, I am many things, but um, for purposes of this <laughs> podcast, uh, um, or I am uh, the founder of 3Q Digital, which is mm-hmm. a digital advertising agency um, based in the United States. Um, we have about about 400 people, and we Mm -hmm. work with a lot of um, very successful companies helping them with their performance marketing. Right.
1: And we had a fascinating conversation. I would urge people to go back to that, and I will include a link to it in in the show notes. I think it was episode... 63 or something like that but I'll, I'll find out the exact number <laughs> and add it in. I should have done my research but anyway um, as part of our conversation and getting to know you I subscribed to your newsletter on LinkedIn inside the double bubble which I think I linked to in the show notes last time and if I didn't I definitely will this time firstly where did that name come from inside double bubble
3: well so first of all double bubble I don't know if it translates over over mm-hmm. the Atlantic but there used to be a, a gum chewing gum called the double bubble i think they, they they advertise it as having more bubbles than your standard bubble gum but but my yeah. reference to it is i've always thought that like you know i i am an internet marketer and i live in silicon mm-hmm. valley so i have mm-hmm. these two bubbles around me i have the internet marketing bubble where we're always on yeah, the cutting edge whatever facebook or google yeah. is talking about and then i have silicon valley which is cutting yeah. edge so, so i've always thought that my worldview is probably very skewed i mean i'm mm-hmm. you know i spend my day talking about you know machine learning and and self-driving cars and i'm sure someone who is in you know liverpool is not as obsessed with topics as i am because this is this is where i am in this double bubble that's where that's where the term came
1: from i love it and um i also was interested in um the fact that you do this on linkedin that you use their newsletter um uh, functionality, which I wasn't that familiar with uh, before I subscribed to yours. Um, what? Why did you choose to, I mean, I know it's a bit of off topic. I, we'll talk about the actual article that drew me to you in a second, but what I was interested in is uh, personally, there were so many choices about where we can put our newsletters these days. Why did you choose LinkedIn and what's been in your experience?
3: Well, I've always had this theory that if you're an early um, adopter of any mm-hmm. sort of social media mm-hmm. service, you tend yeah. to sort of get yeah. a lot of um, yeah. good tailwinds, and so in fact, more than ten years ago, probably fifteen years ago, LinkedIn introduced this concept called LinkedIn Groups. Mm-hmm. And I started a couple of groups around lead generation, and within a matter of you know months, I had a hundred thousand people in these groups. Now, unfortunately, well, that- LinkedIn has decided over time to just totally relegate these groups yeah. to backwater; just they're, they're totally pointless now. But at the time. Yeah. I was like, "This is great." I mean, I started this group, and suddenly I have all this cachet and all these people that mm. I can network to. So when LinkedIn came out with newsletters, I had the same thought. I was like, "Well, if this mm. thing that LinkedIn's going to promote, if I can be one of the oh. early people that's pro- using it, my newsletter is going to get pretty good following." So it's mm. been pretty successful. Yeah, um, yeah. three thousand followers, and and the yeah. other nice thing about their their system is that as soon as you write an article, it gets sent to someone's email as opposed to right. just being posted on LinkedIn, which can get, right. you know, if you're not looking at yeah. LinkedIn at that moment, you're never going to see it. So yeah. Yeah, I found it to be pretty uh, pretty useful. Uh, Perfect tool. storm, really, isn't it? I mean, I guess it, that's probably
1: where Twitter might go with the review, I suppose, is that they'll do they'll do both. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, because that's the problem with LinkedIn, isn't it? Once the stream goes away, they've missed it, however interested they might have been, particularly as yeah. LinkedIn doesn't support lists or anything like that. And as you say, groups is now just a, back war is just dreadful so that, that, that's that's incredible. and I actually remember when um LinkedIn started when you could first write stories on LinkedIn and I was like got one of the early passes to go do that and you got so much traction and then they introduced yeah. it to everybody and it just went off like a cliff like, it was yeah incredible.
0: incredible
1: yeah I think yeah, I mean, being an early doctor it's I think uh, it's uh, good advice there so anyway back to the article that uh lured me not or inspired me to lure you back onto the show. Uh, you wrote you wrote an article in the most recent newsletter, which is Do marketers have a responsibility? Sorry, yes, do marketers have a responsibility to tell the truth. It might help if I could read my notes. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I loved it and I was tweeting about it and i posted it on LinkedIn as well. Um, and what I like about this is is the fact that you make us stop and think about how far we can go go with marketing. And we'll talk about some of those points there. And you open the article Uh, This is some work I'm not familiar with, with Harara and collective myths as being something that binds us. Tell us about that idea of collective myths.
3: Yeah. So this uh, professor Yuval Harari wrote a book called *Sapiens*, and he talks Mm -hmm. about how society is built on myths. And so Mm -hmm. he doesn't mean myths in the sense of like something that is, you know, some sort of dragon in the sky. He just means that Mm -hmm. we we create stories that we all agree on and that allows society to operate. So you know, two lawyers um, agree that there's certain codes of conduct in, in the world mm-hmm. of justice and two people who follow the same religion agree that certain, you know, things are true about yeah. how, how the earth was created and whatnot. And so mm-hmm. his point is basically society could not, even money is a myth, really. I mean, you know, you, mm-hmm. have, a, you have a dollar bill I and mean, what is it? It's a piece of paper, but we all agree yeah. that it's worth something. So suddenly it becomes a truth. So, his mm-hmm. point is is that that's how society grows. That's the difference between humans and animals. That we have these myths yeah. that 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 we all collectively agree upon.
1: Yeah, and then I like the way, well, I quite like the uh, the reason why you make this reference, because I've got the book and I'm big Seth Godin fans we were just discussing before we came on. Um, you then reference Seth Godin and the fact that all martyrs are liars, which in the book he changed to storytellers, which I thought was good. And that was also built on a similar concept of myths, isn't it, that we tell ourselves, that we tell ourselves that expensive wine is better and those kinds of things. Um, what, what do you think of that, the the, the, the Bringing sorry, bringing in Seth into that myths conversation.
3: Yeah, I mean it was interesting because when he first wrote the book, he called it "All All Marketers Are Liars," and yeah. he was just basically saying, like, you know, mm. as a marketer, you have this power to create these stories, and it doesn't matter yeah. really if it's true or not. You can you can yeah. create you can turn something into truth. And then mm-hmm. he revised it and re, in a in a subsequent edition, and he called he said all marketers are storytellers. Yeah, and he, he specifically said, you know what, if you tell an outright lie. People aren't going to believe it. I mean, if you yeah, yeah. you tell people that you know you'll lose fifty pounds in in a week taking this pill, and it doesn't yeah. happen, you lose your credibility. Yeah. But then, this is where I thought the, the debate was interesting because Harari has said, in talking about this whole world, whole post truth world that we live in, mm-hmm. he disagrees. He's like, no, you can create whatever myth you create. If if the majority of people accept it, it becomes true. Um, wow. so he actually he actually really disagrees with. Um, what um what godin's saying about yeah. how lying doesn't get you anywhere and so his and he even goes into Harari even goes into this point he says like look coca-cola and pepsi show you mm. all these commercials with people running around playing frisbee and and jogging on the beach and then yeah. a Coke. he said every you know the reality is if you drink coke every day you're going to get diabetes you're going to gain weight <laughs> but they have yeah. successfully created this myth that is that yeah. is objectively false that, yeah. that exists so so from that perspective yeah. you know his argument is no it's you can be a liar and you can still be very successful whereas Godin was trying to say no you have to have some kernel of truth yeah. in, your, in your lying yeah so um
1: why is it you think that some of these myths stick between these two you know competing uh you know voices of, of Godin and uh, <coughs> uh, and Harari what well, why do you think because obviously not every myth sticks otherwise we would all be wildly successful marketers and and there'll be a million myths in the world. But why do you yeah. think some stick and some don't? Why, why, why do we suspend the truth that we know about Coca-Cola and go along with this?
3: Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I'll go back to a, um, a book that I read 40 years ago um, mm-hmm. on direct mail marketing. And, and in that book, they said there are four human emotions that will sell anything. Fear, greed, vanity, and exclusivity. Mm-hmm. And, and those are all things that just pull at our, our DNA. There's something about mm-hmm. it, especially when you get to see things like vanity. You know, you yeah. want to believe that that you're the smartest person in the room and that you're mm-hmm. going to be, you know, loved by millions and all and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And so I think the myths that sort of have their foundational element in in those sorts of things, safety, you know, vanity, mm-hmm. specialness, people, people really are willing to suspend disbelief to to believe in them because they they really want to.
1: Right. And do you think, um, and this is, I mean, I, I guess it goes against the, well, it goes with the title of, of your article, which is do as have responsibility to tell the truth. Alternatively, is it our role to create those myths? I mean, we have to do something, right? So are you say, are, you, are we to blame? Or is it something we need to be doing, creating these myths, as long as they're not hurting anybody? Are we allowed to do this?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think in the article, I talk about how lots of other um, professional or um, organizations mm. have standards by which yeah. they are held to. So if if you are um, admitted to the bar, whether it's mm-hmm. in England or the United States, yeah, um, the bar association um, requires, first of all, that you take classes on some level of ethics. And, yeah. and second of all, that if you do something that is considered to be um, unethical, yeah. that you can be disbarred and you will no longer have a license to practice law. And mm-hmm. the same is true with medicine. The same is true with, With many many areas, but in marketing, we don't have any of those standards. First of all, there's no requirement to take an ethics class, no no organization that holds us accountable. And so we're basically left with the only, um, the only thing that really sort of determines success as a marketer is Mm -hmm. basically how much, how persuasive your myths are, which are, is usually determined by how much money you're making for your client. Yeah. Um, And that to me is, is a problem because, um, You're basically not teaching teaching marketers or telling them to even think about the ethical considerations Mm -hmm. of their Mm -hmm. what they're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. So so to your to your question, you know, are there good myths and bad myths? Absolutely. There are. But Mm -hmm. if you don't ever even think about that dichotomy, you will Mm -hmm. end up just doing what whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, this is totally
1: fascinating because it's not just myths that we create, do we, as marketers? We have all this uh, as a group, as an industry. We have a massive budget, and we can use that. I think as Seth refers, Seth Godin refers to as changing the culture, don't we? We change culture with 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 marketing. So uh, th- that's what makes it interesting. Your de- this debate about how far should we go? We obviously have a lot of power, right?
3: Ton of power. I mean, marketers are are trained and incentivized to mm-hmm. change people's minds. Uh, yeah. And so you can imagine if um, a really talented marketer who has no foundation in ethics or, or doesn't even think about it, um, it's just given a lot mm-hmm. of money um, to work for a company that could be, we could consider bad for society. I mean, whether mm-hmm. it's, whether it's selling drugs to children or, mm-hmm. um, you know, creating, you um, you know selling selling military equipment to uh mm-hmm. rogue um you know terrorists you know I mean yeah yeah there's lots yeah. of ways to imagine where you could sort of um use marketing for 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 bad yeah. yeah
1: yeah and then your article you also talk about i mean do you think things have changed right now I mean because we talk about post truth and you refer to that in your article do you think we're giving up on truth for in in and embracing these myths more than we used to or or what what do you think
3: I think um, we have been, as a, as, a, as a world, we've been hit by all this new technology, mm-hmm. uh, the internet, social media, mobile phones, and yeah. it's just so easy now to spread a message, um, yeah. to, to have competing um, narratives to, um, to what was traditionally sort of well-researched, fact-checked um, stories. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're kind of at a crossing point uh, turning point where we're going to either figure out a way to really help people be critical thinkers and understand the difference between what, what, what I would consider a researched and, and Mm evidence-based truth and Mm -hmm. an opinion that's masquerading as a truth, or we're going to get to the point where, where every point of view is weighted equally. And which means that there's no truth. right? Right. And I'm, I'm certainly in the camp of, of feeling like, um, we need to create standards for how we, mm-hmm. how we evaluate truth. And I think there's a responsibility for everyone, whether it's in the marketing community, the internet community to, yeah. to help make those standards a uh, reality.
1: Right. And where do we draw the line? I mean, you gave that example of Coca-Cola, showing <laughs> young people drinking their products. And then yeah, the truth is people with diabetes. But you also talked about fast food marketing, which is okay in moderation, right? And then you get these beautifully shot photos of plump burgers and, and the fries have just come out the fry and they're just so right. Um, is that okay? How far are we allowed to go as marketers in, in creating this myth, this creating this myth that a, the that a, that a, that a Burger King Whopper is actually six inches tall when really it's only two?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's obviously extremes. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you as a marketer promote a uh, nutraceutical that ends up, causing people thousands of people to die you know mm-hmm. then you're at the point yeah. where you're basically committing you know, a murder um, yeah I mean, there's the other end of the extreme where you have sort of the burger king commercial where you yeah. um you know they have six food stylists spending 10 hours creating the perfect burger in their commercial and yeah. you know it doesn't look anything like that when you get in there i mean yeah. ultimately i think the problem that we have is that we don't have any standards um, mm-hmm. from anyone we don't the yeah. governments, and again, I can't only really speak to the U.S. government, the U.S. Yeah. government is overwhelmed with and doesn't have yeah. enough resources to actually prosecute situations yeah. where there's completely false advertising that's negatively impacting people. There's yeah. no real governing um, body of the industry. There's mm-hmm. there's there's no consequences, really, right. other than, I guess, in some cases, a civil lawsuit or, yeah. you know, something like that. So. Yeah. um, So, you know, it's hard to blame marketers for, for doing things that are somewhat unethical if, if no one's telling them what's right or wrong or handling no it, it's the consequences. It's the joyous part of
1: capitalism, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> it's part yeah. of our culture. Um, now, I'm going to ask this question, and I, the listener might find, think this is, I'm being a bit awkward with this, but you mentioned it in your article, so I think that's fine. But have you ever been involved in marketing something that you felt uncomfortable with, and what did you learn from that, and what lessons did that give you in your career afterwards?
3: Yeah, I have many times, um, unfortunately. <laughs> many uh, times. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for 21 years, so it's, it's yeah. plenty of examples. But, um, yeah. you know, I mean, the I think the biggest lesson I learned was that um, when, I, when I didn't ask enough questions
2: mm-hmm. about
3: the product or service, um, yeah. in hindsight, you could look back and say, well, there were some warning signs that something wasn't right here. And I should have yeah. asked something. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Early on um there was a company that offered um this was like back in the day of myspace so most of mm-hmm. your listeners probably don't even know what myspace is but <laughs> myspace was one of the first social networks and they had all mm-hmm. these um wallpapers that you could you could put yeah. on your social network that your page mm-hmm. to make you look sort of like cool and this yeah. company offered a bunch of free downloads of wallpapers so you could right. get like cool bling for the back of your mm-hmm. myspace page um mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, great. Yeah, well, I'll I'll help you get new uh, subscribers to this. And what I didn't realize was that these guys were basically spyware. So once they oh, wow. they got once they got onto your computer, they would take over your search page and they wow. would search results from their search engine and they would throw yeah. pop-ups on the page and on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. I never asked any questions. I was just like, okay, mm-hmm. great, free wallpapers. I never it never occurred to me that if these guys were willing to pay Four or five dollars to get someone to sign up for free wallpapers. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some financial <laughs> to them, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's just one example. I mean, I've got plenty of other examples. I mean, I was I was personally not knowingly involved in the 2008 um, recession with these uh, mortgage op- mortgage uh, Wow. Yeah. From the movie uh, The Big Short, I had, yeah. again I was like buying all these mortgage leads, yeah. never asking why some people wanted some of these leads, and then yeah after this whole mortgage um industry imploded i found out that our biggest customers were the people who were buying the lowest quality leads and then selling them to people on wall street and taking no responsibility for when someone defaulted on their mortgage which almost right. all of them
1: did right 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 and so th-
3: what you learn from that experience is now you ask more questions than and just figure I try out what the to. Yeah, I try to, yeah. you know, I try to, um, you know, sort of ask that question of like, um, yeah. would I be comfortable if one of my sons uh, was buying mm. this product? Nice. Um, you know, as, a, as, a, as an agency, we've turned down numerous mm. um, companies. Um, mm-hmm. I know we turned down a handgun company not too recently, mm-hmm. long ago that we just didn't feel yeah. like it was something that we wanted yeah. to represent. And um, yeah. yeah, I think it's an important thing that people need to do right right and um,
1: i'm going to refer back to you talking about the hippocratic oath that medical professionals have the first do no harm and lawyers have their rules of professional responsibility and as you say we've got no such standards and uh, it lies with advertising legislation and some association standards but there isn't really anything and i want want to ask you and it's not in the article is if you were to create the hippocratic
3: oath of marketing where would you start that's a good question. I think you know something around um, um, striving for accuracy of mm-hmm. representation, and um, you know, sort of applying some sort of um, uh, the categorical imperative. You know, from mm-hmm. uh, I think it was uh, Kant, right? Which is uh, uh, do unto others as you have done unto yourself. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Just looking at what you're marketing and how you're marketing in it, and asking the question, yeah. like, again, is this something that if my a thirteen-year-old son came home and said, "Dad, I saw this great art ad- advertisement and I yeah. bought this product. Would would I be yeah. panicked, ambivalent, or relieved about yeah. about that purchase? And if the answer is not, if its the answer is panic, then there's been something wrong in marketing that needs to be corrected."
1: Yeah, and I like that idea of if a loved one—I mean, let's depending on the products, right? Is if if somebody I know <laughs> bought this thing based on my marketing, how would I feel? I think that's a great start, isn't it, to Hippocratic Oath of marketing? Yeah. If somebody I know bought it, what would I think?
3: Yeah, it's somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it's somewhere. I mean, we—I think we do need standards, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't seem like we're moving in in that direction anytime fast. Yeah. Prefer-
1: mean, just like just what? the fact that
3: people who go to get a marketing degree—I don't there's no standard for taking an ethics class no, you know? no. yeah yeah and, and most of us i mean
1: me included are uneducated in marketing anyway we started somewhere else and we've wound up in marketing so even if there was a professional body and there was an ethics class that we had to take in the, in our marketing degree to get into this profession we don't need to do that so no it is a bit wild west and i it's it's not a very positive note to leave on but um i i we're, we're out of time but i thought I loved your article. I'm including a link to it in the the show in the show notes. And I think it's really thought provoking about the power we have as marketers and that we need to control. And what do we do about, you know, how what we're selling and how we sell it? And um, it's in your um, newsletter called Inside the Double Bubble, which I'll also include a link to. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, David, where are they going to find you?
3: Well, I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm starting to sort of get my Twitter um, action going again. So it's nice. at, at Rodnitsky. Make sure you spell it right uh, with uh-huh. a Z, and not an S. Um, but uh, those are good places to find me.
1: Nice. Well, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Enjoyed your article, and uh, went ne- and I look forward to having you back again.
3: Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it.
1: Cheers, David. Bye bye. thank you david really enjoyed that conversation and the article that inspired it you can find david's newsletter inside the double bubble on linkedin and i'll include a link to it our chat about his book unfair marketing and all his links in the show notes right it's that time of the week it's friday evening time to wind down in the rockstar cmo virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru robert rose <laughs>
2: Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's nice to be back in the bar again this week. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, another fall day, and as we get prepared, I should say, for uh, the upcoming content marketing world, which is, yes. uh, you know, this coming week.
1: Yeah. I was going to, that was going to be my first question. And you, are you ready? I mean, it's, it must be very exciting that, uh, coming it, out. It is, it is it's it's going, going to be, out, okay. yeah,
2: it is very exciting to have some in-person people. Um, yeah. You know, I think if I had to say, are we ready? Yes. A hundred percent ready. Um, and I think the interesting thing is, is that it's going to be a really Laid back, it's uh, oh, nice. you know, you know a a la- the laid back edition. I think everybody's going to be sort of <laughs> taking a taking a breath, right and and you know using this this week to reconnect, recharge, learn a little bit, have some fun in a safe way, and yes. and then you know, of course, we've got the virtual version as well. But um, yes. it, I, I think you know, I think laid back is sort of the operating word that I'm going in with, you know, which is Mm -hmm. sort of just relaxed and not make it so intense and, and and all of that. And so I think as such, you know, we've, we've got, you know, a lot of sessions, but fewer than in normal years. And we've got, you know, the whole place so that we can spread out and, you know, you know, and, and, and take our time and, and all those kinds of things. And it's a much more laid back uh, schedule this year. So, you know, I think it's going to be I, I'm I'm super excited to see old friends make new friends and, and really yeah. just quite frankly, see real people in a real building for a while. Yeah,
1: I think you're going to be surra- I think you're going to be surrounded by some very excited people, too. I think the laid backness might not be the consistent thing. I know a, a few people that listen to this show that I that I know that are. Uh, they're very excited to be there. So I think, I think there is going to be a lot. Of there
2: excitement. is a palpable energy. I will say mm. that I went to a, I spoke at a conference a, a few weeks ago in Chicago yeah. and yeah. I will tell you that the, uh, the energy from the audience was, you know, there was a lot of gratitude, right? There was a lot of excitement about being back in person, you know, yeah. and feeling okay about it. And, and yeah. that was you know, it was, it was important. And so they were, yes, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. There is a lot of very exciting yeah. people
1: that will. And, and how does an old pro, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, feel about being on stage after, after quite a break? I mean, how did, how does that feel for you?
2: Weird. Very, uh, you <laughs> know, if I'm, if I'm completely transparent and, and honest, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. um, not because the audience made me feel weird, but be, just because it was, it has been so long Yeah. Um, that it just felt odd, um, and, and good in a way. Um, you know, it was good to sort of get my sea legs under me as it were. Um, but, um, more than anything else, it just felt a little, it felt a little weird and, and, and especially at the end, right. You know, because there's that moment when you finish a talk and you're on stage and you, you walk off stage and, you know, in some cases there's some people there to chat with you and, and, and ask questions and stuff that they didn't want to ask while you were talking and all of that. And in this case, you know, everybody's, you know, sort of filing out to the, to do their thing and go, you know, take a break and, and all that. I was the last speaker of that particular morning session. And, and everybody sort of just got up and walked out and I was just sort of standing there and just realized that, you know, it wasn't because of me. It was because they all felt a little awkward too, about, yeah. how close do you get? Is it, yeah. is it right? Is it, you know, we're all sort of yeah. figuring out this social human yeah. interaction thing again. Yeah, and so yeah. there, you know, there's some awkward interactions yeah. that you have with humans in this case. And yeah. so that was a, a little weird too.
1: Yeah. I mean, just a silly little thing. I met uh, my best mate down, down the pub um, the other night and uh, we went out for a meal. And um, for the first time we, instead of elbow bumping, we shook hands. This, it's been a while. And I was like, are, yeah. we, are we doing this? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, those little things are weird. But so anyway, best of luck uh, next week with uh, Content well, Marketing you. World, um, which is obviously in Cleveland. Is Yes. And people can join uh, virtually as well, can they?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's going to be so, great. It's so people, be... Can,
1: people can still sign up, I imagine, if I do a little bit I... of selling.
2: I think so. For certainly, for the virtual event, it's probably a yes. little late at this point to make it to Cleveland, but um, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, indeed, yeah, the yeah. plenty of time to sign up for the virtual event nice. and and get the live stream and and all yeah. those kinds of things.
1: Very um, nice. So back to uh, this evening. Yes, yeah, so as we look and- at
2: the bar, we have a wonderful drink to celebrate all of this. Um, nice. You know, and, calm your nerves when you well, as I sit here at the bar and I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like. You know, I, I I feel like we're in. It's a it's a bit of one of those moody days, right? You know, where it's windy <laughs> outside, and <laughs> you can feel a little bit of the breeze coming through the door, and you can hear that whistling of the wind through things. Can you hear that? I can I can hear that.
1: Can, yes. Like that. And anyway,
2: um, what you we have know that tonight. I don't have
1: a huge sound library. That I just yes. Select these things what
2: on. we have, what we have this evening is. Uh, a very simple drink, but unfortunately, it's there are ingredients that are a little hard to sort of source. Right, um, and so and and it's one of those things where it's a specialty drink. So buying a full bottle of this stuff is sometimes like, really, do I want to buy a full bottle of this? So uh-huh. this may be better to order in a bar. Um, yes. The first, it's it's a it's a martini. So Ooh. as you can see, it's going to have very very. Uh, very um, simple ingredients, but again, mm-hmm. maybe more difficult to find. And, and it's yes. a caramel martini. Um, and again, sort of celebrating the fall, the winter, the coming of, mm-hmm. of chill in the air. And uh, it's, it starts, I don't know if you've ever had it, but there's a caramel vodka mm-hmm. um, and it's caramel infused vodka. It's absolutely spectacular. I've just had it recently and it's really wonderful. And, um, uh-huh. And it's, so it's two ounces of this plus an ounce of butterscotch schnapps, which I know (laughs) sounds nasty, but it's really not. It's not, it's, so it's two parts, basically Uh two parts caramel vodka, one part uh, butterscotch schnapps, uh, and then maybe just a little bit of cider of your favorite choice, your favorite flavor of of cider. And it's, and you mix all that together, no Uh ice in this, you're going to mix it up into a mixer. Um, yep. And then pour it in as you would to a very cold martini glass, and you have your caramel martini, and it's absolutely spectacular.
0: It, it,
1: quite, quite the sweet drinks uh, for fall for you, Mr. Rose.
2: Oh, indeed, I yeah, have a to. huge sweet tooth. Yes, it's uh, tooth. yeah. This is. This you is, might hear um, that I'm this is sneaking. how we roll in the wintertime
1: <laughs> well I'm sneaking in some ice into a glass because uh, I don't have those ingredients and that who would expect it they're rare ingredients aren't they so they
2: are um, they, they're, they're a little hard to source I do yeah. admit it's not the kind of thing that you're gonna to find at your local supermarket or <laughs>
1: uh, so I am gonna delve very deeply into my desktop bar and I'm going to reach for um, something that is sometimes in a martini.
2: Some gin. Ah, yes, indeed. Uh, the proper way to make a martini in my, my yes, life. Yes, indeed. Now, at this point, I should
1: be saying I'm going to have a martini and drink, put something else into it. But what I'm going to go with, as is my as is my want, is a, is a little tonic, I think. Oh, nice. This into this strange martini that I'm making this week.
2: Well, it's it's, really not even a martini at this point. It's a vodka (laughs) tonic. (laughs) Or a gin and tonic, rather. Gin and tonic. Trying to get my
1: bottle of gin, my bottle of tonic open. It's not playing ball. So um, let me just, let me just get, ah, there we go. Genuinely couldn't get my bottle of tonic opener. And there we go uh that's uh that's just some regular indian tonic water this week let me take a sip of that oh that's delicious robert and very not very sweet but quite warming i, I not don't like as sweet, that. certainly
2: not as sweet as your caramel martini yeah that is that no, is correct it's nice
1: uh, yes, I do have the occasional espresso martini for my sins. It's <laughs> the so, yeah. so closest I get to something like that. But that sounds delicious. And what, what did you call it a caramel martini or did you give it a fancy name?
2: Uh, I, I called it a caramel martini, yes. I, oh, I mean, okay. you probably could give it a fancy name, but uh, caramel martini yes. seems fancy enough, I'd suspect.
1: Yes. And I suspect next week is when you're going to be drinking all the orange drinks, isn't it?
2: Uh, when it, well you know we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll find out i mean you know it, 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 there will be lots of orange there is no doubt about it so i tend <laughs> to stay away from the orange colored drinks um <laughs> personally um but um oh, yeah it's yes. it's yeah yeah
1: we'll see we'll see i we'll remember see drinking a lot of dark and stormy with uh, kathy mcknight when she was with a different company that had orange in their logo uh, ah, yeah, Cathy, uh, That that was quite an evening. Anyway, so moving on, uh, we're not at content marketing world, but we are in the fall, and we are drinking these sweet drinks. Where would we be drinking
2: these, Mister Browns? We would go. So there is a there is a place. Some of the best bars I've ever been in in my life, right, are in Copenhagen, and cool. uh, and. I love that city so much. Um, hmm. And one that I haven't been to, obviously, since the pandemic began. Yeah, Miss it terribly. Yes. Um, and I, to this day, they're, and, and because there's, I mean, and maybe it's just the bars that I've been to, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that I've been taken to, I should say, in, in, yes. in Copenhagen. But they they're are the always places. so cozy, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're the kind, you know, You know, you sort of have this coziness in an English pub, right, right. where it's dark and, you know, it (laughs) smells a little like beer. And it's, you know, you've got dartboards and you've got, you know, some characters running around, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got the American bars, which tend to be a little lighter. You know, Mm -hmm. they always they all smell like a burger um, and, you know. (laughs) And you know fried foods, and and you know, and, and they have, you know, there's sports being played on TV, and mm-hmm. you know all that kind of thing. In Copenhagen, the the the, when you walk into a bar, the only thing that's happening is a little bit of music in the bar, right? I yes. mean, it's just it's just there, and there's always comfy chairs, and there's always you know, friendly discussion and it's always Mm. just a little bit of music. It's not, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, I really like them. And, and anyway, so I think if you're having this kind of fancy caramel martini and the wind is blowing and it's a little chilly and it's you know, you've got your heavy wool sheep's sweater on, you know, it seems like Copenhagen is the place to be. Yeah. I love it. Uh,
1: Yeah. I, I, I love, Oh my God. I can't believe it is because um, I think, one of the last big trips that I did before the, um, before the pandemic, I did a little tour of the Nordics with, uh, with a software vendor and helping them, um, speaking. And it was just wonderful. You know, yeah. like I, I got to, you know, I got to go to Oslo, um, Copenhagen, um, all of the Nordic cities that whose names escape me. Did you get up to, <laughs> uh, uh did you get up to Gotteborg? No. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, did I? Yeah, no. So yeah, so we did. Yeah, and we did. Um, we did a tour over three different weeks. It was. It was. Just, and um, they've got the whole range. I mean, they do have the cozy bars, absolutely in Stockholm, but they've got some really classy um, cocktail bars as well. And I, I'm sure you will find uh, all of the range of cocktails that you bring to this bar <laughs> in, yeah. in Copenhagen too. Yeah, beautiful. Yes,
2: I mean, someday I want to do like a tour where I start in the middle of Sweden somewhere and come down through, you know, Copenhagen and go through the rest yeah. of Denmark and come down and spend time and, you know, into Germ- yeah. Northern Germany and, you know, Hamburg yeah. and you know, I, which yeah. I've never been to, I've never been to Hamburg and um, move into the, you know, either go, you yeah. know, either go into the Netherlands and end up in Amsterdam somewhere or, or, yeah. or continue South through Germany and, yeah. and into Switzerland or something. I just want to do this sort of, you know, the, The north to south sort of trip. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, I could recommend
2: doing that. Uh, I think my
1: first billable day as a consultant uh, away from British shores, because my first billable day as a consultant was at the Guinness uh, um, Brewery when it was in North London before they moved everything back to Dublin. And which I, you know, which was fantastic, obviously. Uh, and then, as I've drunk Guinness since I was 17. And uh, wow. I think my first billable foreign trip was in Hamburg. So,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's I miss I a great Guinness, I have to say. I, you know, because <laughs> you're not going to get that here in the US, certainly not but, so much. Um, but yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: All right. Well, we better get on to the conversation of the week. Um, Indeed. I- I'm hoping you've got time. Uh, so, uh, we are in the wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen yeah. and, uh, we are, we've obviously exhausted our conversation about content marketing world and cocktails and we're moving into marketing. What are we chatting about this week? Robert?
2: You know what we're going to chat about this week? We're going to chat about epic failure mm. <laughs> and, and I don't mean just middle of the road failure. I mean, epic failure. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, so have you had the conversation with uh, colleagues around outputs and outcomes? Ah, uh, yes. You know, and I think we've even talked about a little bit. Oh, I'm looking forward to this.
1: Before, <laughs> yes. yeah. Outputs, outputs and, you, and know,
2: you know, you yeah. know, and, and it and it it can often be like this chicken and egg situation, yeah. right? Where it's like, yeah, you know do we focus on outputs to get to outcomes or do we focus Mm. on outcomes that design the outputs and, and all those things. And in content marketing, content strategy, really marketing, if you want to take it up that it's almost, I mean, this is the, one of the biggest, you know, fails that we see, right? Which is marketing departments focusing on outputs, how many blog posts do we produce, how many white papers, how many eBooks, how many videos, et cetera, rather than the outcomes. And, and that's conventional wisdom, right? You know, conventional wisdom says, Hey, we should focus on the outcome and then design the outputs accordingly. Yeah. And that's interesting. But what really interests me, and I was actually having a conversation with a friend about this lately, um, on this outputs and outcomes and fail idea is what happens to us as people, as humans, when we like epically fail at the outcome (laughs) part. Um, you know, and I don't mean like, oh, you know, the, the, the content didn't produce enough quota of leads or, oh, we didn't get the SEO bump or, oh, you know, we got a bad comment on the blog or something. I Uh mean, trip and crack your skull type failures in marketing. (laughs) I mean, like last airbender movie kind of level of failure, (laughs) you know, Richard Nixon thinking a tape recorder in his office is a good idea kind of failure, um, (laughs) You know so this is the kind of failure that I was talking about with my friend and and, and yeah. what they told me was is that they, they they had recently put together this thought leadership campaign and they were trying to drive awareness uh, of the company's ideas and what they stood mm-hmm. for and all the things that you might and they were focused on that outcome and it had failed miserably. I mean, spectacularly without going into a lot of detail about the exact things nor throwing them under the bus. Just, let's just say that memes of their fail were going around in their industry, right? Where, (laughs) you know, just how big of a fail it was. (laughs) So, I mean, the campaign turned into a bit of a joke Yeah, and they had definitely not created the outcomes that they had desired. And, you know, my friend was feeling defeated, lost, And that's a common reaction, right? When we go into that kind of epic failure, we, some, we know, sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we blame others. Sometimes we try and disassociate ourselves from whatever's coming next. (laughs) Sometimes we, you know, there are so many different reactions that we have, but the key and sort of the underlying threat of it all is we withdraw, right? We Mm. we withdraw into our own and we start asking and questioning what we're going to do next. And, 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 you know, the problem is, is that we start asking, how can we even know what the outcomes should be when we have failed so miserably to yeah. create that? Yeah. And you know, this is the disempowering failure that something like that can happen where you yeah. know we can't even imagine what good outcomes will be anymore because we doubt ourselves so much. Yeah. And so in that face of that, I think it's interesting because to me, the argument shifts from focusing on outcomes to focusing on outputs, Mm -hmm. because what I find to be really helpful when that has happened to me in the past and when I've seen it in the past and I've seen this work is basically saying, you know, when you face that to say how do you get out of that mentality is to say now what, what Mm -hmm. do I do? Do something. You've got to do something, right? You've got to, you know, Maybe it's inconsequential. Make a phone call, write a note, write something and share it. Whatever action calls you to do something, you've got to do that. You know, just try it. And that now what may feel a little bit like, oh, we're just trying to grasp onto some kind of hope Mm -hmm. um, for something, but it is, it's an output, right? And it's Mm -hmm. taking a step and it's taking a step forward. And then you take that step forward and then you do it again. And you say, now what? And then you say, now what? And you keep taking those steps forward. And what happens is, and there's a great book um, that is, has the same title, is as you take those output steps forward, eventually a path appears. Mm-hmm. And as a path starts to appear, you can then go, great, what's the next outcome? And we can yeah. start redesigning our outputs accordingly. So but output, also that- on I outcomes are great. But when we are facing disempowering failure and epic failure, yeah. focusing on outputs can be the way out of it.
1: Yeah I d- and I think that's good um, uh, that's good advice for anybody who's had a little bit of a knockback. I, I once I uh, was working with a colleague uh, because you know if you, if you're right if you write something or you get into something, you get into flow, don't you and then you're you're distracted from whatever you know whatever that emotional thing is that you're going through and it can be it that it can be really great plus i think as marketers well as a lot of execution marketers anyway we get a lot of reassurance from getting something done right right so i think that's really good advice is you you would then get something done and then um uh, and so you'd get some some dopamine out of that or whatever it is you get from (laughs) achieving things but also if, if you can get yourself into flow for and start writing or, or creating, then, uh, that that's the best drug, isn't it? It's, it's, I don't know a lot about drugs, but
2: I'm, yeah, it's <laughs> taking, it's, <laughs> it's taking in action, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's actually, you know, cause one of the, one of the sort of human emotions that happens after you have some, you know, you go through mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. is, uh, you, you immediately, start questioning everything you do. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the,
2: you know, and, and, and it's such a, you know, it's such a, it's such a familiar place for so many of us. I mean, we, you know, thankfully very few of us have frequently, um, (laughs) certainly in maintain a job, um, the kind of Epic fails that we're talking about here, right. Yeah, where you're just, you know, you're just disempowered from feeling like anything you do is, is good. Um, and so thankfully those, and tend to come rarely. But when they do, yeah, you know, it 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 can be it can be, you know, it can be very um you know paralyzing. And yeah. the only way out of it, uh I have found is to focus on doing something and mm-hmm. not worrying too much about what the outcome's going to be. Yeah. Um yeah. and you know, and doing something that makes you feel yeah, you know you're getting back up on the bike and you're taking yeah. a pedal and yeah. it may just be a ride around the driveway and it may just be a ride around the block nice. or it may be a ride you know and and ultimately putting one step in front of the other just sort of helps you get to a place where you can start to see yeah. again
1: i love and, that analogy of the bike yeah. ride right around the yard that's excellent yeah yeah, yeah. um so yes uh, that's, uh, that's really profound I'm like I'm like stunned uh but maybe I shouldn't drink so much gin when we're talking but um uh, <laughs> that, that's that's fantastic um so um we I don't I don't know but yeah but no I love that um I'm just gonna say um w- when um people want to feel these profound feelings <laughs> where are they going to read about these with you Robert?
2: Well, occasionally, we put a few of these little thoughts up on our our wonderful little blog at contentadvisory.net. That's the the center of our little content universe these days.
1: Yes, and um, when we spin the dial on the interwebs and we're looking for you, where will we find you?
2: You'll find... Uh, me on all of the little social channels, um, except for Clubhouse, which has now made page four of my iPhone now. So, um, I don't bother with it anymore. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, Twitter and LinkedIn are still very popular nice. places to be. Nice. Fantastic. Now,
1: uh, at this point, I pretty much know that uh, I would be very fortunate to have you in the bar next week because you are going to be in the bar. Uh, content marketing world i should imagine so so we so i've just killed my audience for next week because nobody will bother listening to me but um, so i look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks Robert, here in the bar right. Um and, uh, and and good luck with content marketing world i think you're going to smash it and uh, thank you, a great week excellent cheers buddy thank you robert as you heard robert will be hosting content marketing world next week in cleveland and i know some of you will be lucky enough to be there so please raise a gin and tonic from me if you see him in the bar so that's a wrap on episode 81 of the rockstar cmo effing marketing podcast i've been your host ian truscott and thanks again to jeff david and robert i really appreciate their time sharing their insight with us so please take a look at their work and share it you can find all their links in the podcast show notes and at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes but most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. So, does the world need another effing Martin podcast? What do you think? We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can leave a rating or review in your favourite podcatcher or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I'll be at the next web event in Amsterdam. Robert is at Content Marketing World, so after 81 consecutive episodes i may take a week off or maybe drop in a shorter episode but we'll definitely be back in full swing in two weeks until then have a great week and i hope you'll again join us here next time at rockstar cmo fm